Thanks for uh, having me, guys. It's, it's been awesome for our Ronnie, my wife and I. Ronnie's down there in the bright cardigan, I think you call that. Um, it's, it's been awesome for us uh, to be getting stuck into the family at St. John's here. We've been making lots of friends and having a great time. Uh, it's a joy to explore God's Word with you tonight. Uh, so, as we heard before, we're in, we're in the second week uh, of our series in the I Am Statements in John. Uh, and so we're thinking about seven different things that Jesus says about himself. He says, I am this, I am that. And it matters who Jesus is to us because who Jesus is changes and shapes who we are. So tonight we're thinking about Jesus uh, as the light of the world. So my um, my mum's uncle wrote the soundtrack to Greece, that old musical, and, and some other popular music back in the day. And so he and his family moved to Hollywood and they started mixing with all these Hollywood kind of people um, and every now and again they'd come back to, to Melbourne to visit us and all his friends, his life would kind of come into our life and I never knew how to relate to these people who I'd see on TV and then talk to in my kitchen. People like um, Olivia Newton-John and Bert Newton, um, it's kind of they're a bit before most of our times but you probably recognise their faces, uh, they used to come around to our house uh, all the time and I never really knew how to relate to these guys. I think when I was little, I probably just related to them like I did any other distant family friend. I'd let mum take a photo of me with them and then pretty much ignore them. But I think as I got a bit older, I started to realise that other people related to them differently and so I started to do the same. If you're a sports fan, uh, we'd occasionally have Matt Welsh, uh, who was a world champion swimmer, coming around and Nick Maxwell, he used to be the captain of Collingwood. Uh, and I'm a pretty hardcore Carlton fan, so it's an excellent weekend for me. Uh, we, we beat Collingwood on their birthday, there's nothing better than that. Uh, and Nick Maxwell would come round, and so I'd, I'd relate to him with kind of awe and reverence on one hand, but deep seething hatred on the other hand, <laughs> that made me a few times consider trying to push him down the stairs or something, but I could never relate to this guy. Mum's cousin... Um, is, is in Maroon 5, and when they came to Melbourne on tour last year, they invited Ronnie and I to go for a drink with them before their show. And I, I definitely related to those guys super weirdly. I remember being at the bar, waiting for them to arrive, and suddenly realising how completely uncool I am, um, how unlike these guys I am, and trying to kind of act casual and relaxed at the bar, and then just feeling stupid as soon as they came over. I had no idea how to relate to these guys. After the show, we hung out with them again, uh, and they, they asked us if we wanted to go out clubbing with them. And I hate clubbing, but that would have been an amazing experience, right? But we were so weird about relating to these guys, we were so different to them, that we made some lame excuse uh, and said no, which is one of the biggest regrets of my life, I think. <laughs> I wonder, how, how do you relate to famous people or um, important people or different people? Do you, do you freeze up and look stupid like me? How would you relate if you met the Queen? How about if you met Jesus? How would you relate to him? Would you, would you relate like friends? Jesus calls himself our friend in the Bible. Would you relate to him like a brother? He calls himself our brother. Would you, would you hug him? Would you bow down? Would you run away? It matters how we relate to Jesus because the Christian faith is a relationship with Christ. Although he's not standing in front of us 
in a body. We relate to him every day in our, in our prayers, in our thoughts, in the way we live our lives. And we might be relating to Jesus uh, with worship, with adoration. We might be relating to him with awe, with fear. We might be relating to him with ambivalence uh, or by completely ignoring him. And it matters how we relate to Jesus because one day we will stand face to face with Jesus. And on that day, all of us will relate to him uh, in a particular way. There's a, a Christian band, Mercy Me, that wrote a song about this a few years ago and, and they, they wonder this kind of question. They say, surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? One day, each of us, we will relate to Jesus face to face. So let's, let's prepare ourselves for that day uh, and for every day from this passage, which I think shows us something of how Jesus would have us relate to him. So this, this passage in John 8, it's a story. It's a story of a conversation between Jesus uh, and a group of Pharisees who are everyone's favorite bad guys in the gospel. And they're Jesus' regular sparring partners and as usual, he is way out of their league here. He's way above their level and they end up just sulking and wanting to kill him. So we'll follow the back and forth of the conversation to try and figure out what Jesus is saying. If you haven't already, please uh, grab a Bible from the ledge um, on your seat and and keep that open in John 8 because we'll be in there lots. So we start off with Jesus talking to a crowd and he says to them, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. Let me, let me set the scene for this statement because it's, it's an amazing scene. This conversation takes place at the Feast of Tabernacles and the Feast of Tabernacles is an annual Jewish festival where they remember God's provision for them. One of the amazing traditions of this festival uh, was the lighting of the temple. Now, the temple uh, was the physical and the cultural and the religious centre of the whole nation of Israel. It's on the top of a hill in the middle of the capital city. And in a place in the temple called the Court of the Women, they would set up these four huge candelabras. They were each said to be 75 feet tall. And each candelabra had four branches, each with a bowl. Men would climb up ladders to these bowls with 10-gallon barrels of oil and they'd fill the 16 bowls and then they'd all be lit. Can, can you imagine 16 blazes of fire in the temple on the top of the hill in the middle of the city for the whole population to see? It's a bit like maybe the Olympic flame for us, this kind of powerful symbol in the middle where everyone can see. And, and Jesus comes and he stands in this very place in the temple at this very moment of the festival, quite possibly with these candelabras right behind him, and he says, I am the light of the world. Imagine that. I am the light of the world. But what, what, does he, what does he mean? What does he mean by using that image of light? 
Well, it's, it's a multifaceted image. Um, here are three points of what it means for Jesus to be the light of the world. The light of the world is God's presence, guidance, and protection. So the light of the world is, is the presence of God. There's this story early in the Bible, in the book of Exodus, where God leads his people um, out of Egypt from slavery. And he, he goes with them uh, in a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. And God's very presence is there with the people in that pillar of fire. They could, they could see God's presence with them. And at the feast which remembers God's provision in that pillar of fire, standing in front of these huge torches, Jesus is saying, that's me. I am the light of the world. I am God's presence with you in the darkness of the world. John 1 says of Jesus, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the light in the darkness, and no matter how dark the darkness, no matter how heavy or oppressive or disorienting, the darkness cannot swallow the light. It cannot overcome it. What if it was pitch black in this room? And then, what if I turned on the light? What happens to the darkness that's around us? The, the darkness, it, it flees, it vanishes, it disappears. The light banishes the darkness. Or imagine, imagine the, the deepest, darkest darkness that there is, deep outer space, surrounded by millions of miles of absolute nothing, just emptiness. Even there, it's not really dark at all, is it? The, the light of, of stars that are unimaginably far away penetrates the darkness so that even in the deep darkness of space, you're surrounded by light on every side. And, and Jesus is the light that is present in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. But, but Jesus, the light, he's, he's more, he's different to the light in this room, right? We don't have to relate to the light in here in any way. It just, it just is, it's just around us. But Jesus is a light that calls us to relate to him in a very particular way. Have a look in your Bible at what he says in verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is a light that guides us. This is a, a, a barn swallow, and barn swallows are native to Europe. Uh, and so to escape the cold European winter, um, every year they fly 9,000 miles to South Africa, and then six months later they fly back again. And the main way that they navigate this vast journey is by the light of the stars. Night after night, the light of the stars guides them through the darkness, halfway across the world and back again. 
And, and we need light to guide us just as much, don't we? There's a reason our cars have headlights. It would be dangerous for us to drive in the dark. That, that pillar of fire that was with God's people in the desert, it, it led them through the wilderness, showing them where to go. As long as the people were following that light, they were following God's guidance for them. Jesus is the light of the world, and he's the light that guides us. And he's a light that protects us. When God goes ahead of them out of Egypt as the pillar of fire, he's with them in the pillar, he guides them as the pillar, and when Pharaoh and his army attack, the pillar of fire protects them. With the, the pillar with Israel on one side and Pharaoh's army on the other, and the pillar holds off Pharaoh's army while Israel passed through the Red Sea. John, who wrote this, this account of Jesus' life, he uses the image of, of light and darkness a lot. And he uses darkness to, to represent opposition to Jesus and his people. But darkness is, is ominous, it's threatening. If you're watching a scary movie and someone's torch goes out, you know that's bad news for that person, right? Children ask for a nightlight because they're, they're instinctively afraid of the dark. And the light of the world is God's presence in the darkness, God's guidance through the darkness, and God's protection from the darkness. And, and these, these Pharisees are here in this scene and they're hearing what Jesus is saying, standing in front of the lights in the temple. They're connecting dots back to the Old Testament and they are not happy. So let's see how they relate to the light of the world. They say to him in verse 13, here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. What do they do? They, they, they dismiss him. They, they question him. They scorn him. This is not the right way to relate to the light of the world. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. In the, the courtroom language of this passage, they're trying to have Jesus' testimony thrown out because there's no one to corroborate it. But Jesus has the Father to corroborate every word he says. It's there from verse 16. Everything he says is also from the Father. Everything Jesus does is also from the Father. And every judgment he makes is with all the authority of the Father. Because he's the, he's the light of the world. He's God's presence in the darkness with his people. But these, these Pharisees, they're failing to see that Jesus is the light of the world. They're failing to see that every word he says are the words of the Father as well. They're failing to see that God is standing there with them. If they realized what Jesus is claiming here, they'd, they'd see that their question doesn't even make sense. If Jesus says he's God, who else is he going to appeal to to back that up? Who's, whose testimony is going to be more reliable than God's? These Pharisees, they're spiritually blind to the truth 
of Jesus' words, that they are in the presence of God. And when they, when they question Jesus here, he replies to them in verse 14. He says, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I have come from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I have come from or where I am going. So where did Jesus come from? Where is he going? Well, Philippians 2 tells us, The throne in heaven. Jesus came from the throne of heaven and he's going to return there and every knee shall bow before him. God has come down from heaven and he's standing there with them. And one day he will return to his throne to judge the living and the dead. These Pharisees, they have no idea who they are dealing with. They are relating to the light of the world with disdain and scepticism. And Jesus calls people to follow him, and instead they question him. This, this story, this passage in John 8, it's part of a larger section where Jesus has lots of these kind of conversations with the Pharisees. So across chapters 7, 8, and 9, here's what the Pharisees uh, think of Jesus. They, they accuse Jesus of deceiving people, of being demon-possessed. They try to seize him, then they try to kill him. They try to have him arrested, then they try to seize him again. They deny that he's a prophet. They try to trap him. In our passage, they challenge the validity of his words. They call him a Samaritan. They call him demon-possessed. Then another time, then they try to stone him. They accuse Jesus of not keeping a Sabbath, and they call him a sinner. These Pharisees, they do not relate rightly to Jesus because they are spiritually blind to the light of the world. Even when he's right there with them. That's, that's sad. That's a, that's a tragedy. That's not the way it should be. But you know what? Sometimes I am just like them. Sometimes, even though I know that God is with me, and more than that, that he's in me, sometimes I ignore him. Sometimes I sideline him. Sometimes I scorn him. Sometimes the way I live, the things I do, the things I think, make me just like these Pharisees, denying that the light of the world is right there with me. Some of the, the proud and the envious thoughts that I indulge in my mind, I would be ashamed to share with Jesus. But how, how foolish of me to think that he doesn't know. How foolish of me to think that they're hidden from him. Jesus promises that I have the light of life. Not just that he's, he's near me, but he's in me. I have him. And even so, it's still very possible for me for us to act like these Pharisees as if he wasn't there at all. So, in our, in our conversation here, Jesus has said, I am the light of the world, follow me. And then the Pharisees have challenged him, you can't appear as your own witness. 
And Jesus has responded, I can because I'm the Lord and my Father is my witness as well. And so now the Pharisees fire their last shot. They say, where is your Father? These, these guys, they're just still not getting it. And Jesus replies, you do not know me or my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. If, if you want to know God, know Jesus. If you want to see God, look at Jesus. People say things, maybe you think things like, maybe there's a God out there, but how can we really know? Or I would believe in God if he would show himself to me. Look at Jesus. Here is a man in history who walked in Israel 2,000 years ago, who was God made flesh, fully divine, fully human. And he is the light which makes it possible for us to see God. And Jesus, he doesn't just reflect God or show us what God is like. He shows us God directly because he is God. And and so we ask the question we began with, how should we relate to Jesus? These Pharisees have clearly got it wrong How can we get it right? How should we relate to the light of the world? Well, we relate to Jesus. We relate to the light of the world like we saw as we relate to God. When when we're in Jesus' presence, we're in God's presence. And that, that sounds lovely, but God's presence can actually be a scary thing. Because the light exposes the darkness. There's this weird story in Luke's Gospel where Peter first meets Jesus. Now Peter's a fisherman and he's been out all night long and he hasn't caught anything. And Jesus comes and he says, put your nets out again. So Peter does uh, and the nets are so full that they're breaking. And, and Peter, he, he realises something of who Jesus is. He captures a glimpse of who Jesus is. And and he falls at Jesus' feet and he says, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Why Why would he relate to Jesus like that? Well, it's because Jesus, the light, exposes his darkness, exposes his sin. In that moment, Peter captures something of who Jesus is. He realizes he's in the presence of God and he's terrified. And and that's what the light does to us as well. Whatever darkness is in your heart, whatever darkness is in my heart, it's not hidden. The light of the world exposes the darkness that is inside us. There's nothing we can do to hide it from him. Excusing it or ignoring it, concealing your envy, clearing your internet history, nothing is hidden from the light of the world. 
Ronnie and I, we have a couple of chooks, and every now and again there's this fox that comes and tries to get at our chooks. And it always comes in the middle of the night under the cover of darkness. And, and we'll hear the chickens panicking as the fox tries to get into their coop. But as soon as I turn the kitchen light on, he's gone. Right? Instantly he turns from predator to prey, he's exposed, and he runs. The light of the world exposes what goes on in the darkness. His holiness shows up every way that we are unholy. All his goodness shows the bad that is in us. We relate to the light of the world by being exposed by it. And maybe there are parts of your life, maybe there are parts of your mind that you've been trying to keep hidden. Things you've been kind of just ignoring um, or pretending they're not a big deal or trying to get away with under the cover of secrecy. Maybe, like me, you've been like the Pharisees and lived as if Jesus' claim wasn't true, as if he wasn't really with you when you're at your worst. Well, Jesus is the light of the world. He is the presence of God in the darkness. Every part of your life and your heart is visible to him. And that, that can feel really uncomfortable, right? But friends, I want you to know that Jesus is the light of the world who not only exposes our sin, but frees us from it. Where the light is, darkness flees. It's swallowed up. And that, that's how Jesus has dealt with our darkness, with our sin. He swallows it up. He takes it on himself. The light absorbs all the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So if you have the light of life, if you trust in Jesus, then you need not be ashamed. You need not fear. The, the power of darkness has been taken away. It's broken. And you can live in the light. So, how should we relate to the light of the world? Well, if you're trying to figure out who Jesus is, if you're trying to figure out who God is, if you're trying to figure out whether there really is a God, please let me focus you on Jesus. So, when you see him, you see God. There's no other philosophy, there's no other religion, there's no other experience that can show us God. Look at Jesus and you're looking at God. And he calls you to follow his light. So you need to decide what you'll do with that call. And for the rest of us, we relate to Jesus as the light that exposes our sin and frees us from it. We don't relate to Jesus like the Pharisees do. Don't dismiss him or ignore him or sideline him. He's God. He's God's presence with us. So worship him and adore him and build your life on him. And don't relate to him like a celebrity or the queen either. 
He's not, he's not distant from you. He's not a stranger in your house. He's your intimate and guiding and protecting light. So listen to his call and follow him. Let me pray for us as we do that. Jesus, thank you that you are God with us. You are the light of the world. You're the light that is God's presence with us. You're the light that guides us. And you're the light that protects us. Help us to hear your call to follow you and to respond. Amen.